Good morning. Totally, totally acceptable. Thank you. It's good to know that all of the bodies that I see are actually awake. That's great. I, I just want to, before we start this morning, I want to encourage you. I didn't know Nick was going to play that song and sing that song, but just can you remember the lyrics of Speak Jesus? Okay, what a beautiful song. But remember that. Think of that as we go through our word and message today. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to, guess what? Second Timothy. Uh, we're, st- we're in chapter one. We're going to be beginning at verse eight today. Uh, and again, if you haven't got a study guide yet, they're at the back. Great thing about the study guide is when I ask you to open your Bibles, and those of you don't have one with you, you can open them actually to the second week lesson and the scriptures right there. Isn't that awesome? And an opportunity for you to make notes. Uh, so we, we started this series last Sunday. We did the first seven verses as an introductory to it, gave a lot of context at that time in that message about the situation that Timothy was in, but also specifically the Apostle Paul. So I just want to urge you, because I don't want to rehash it all this morning, otherwise we'll be here a long time. Uh, If you didn't hear that or see that message, go online to our YouTube channel or to iTunes podcast. I really want to encourage you to listen to it so that you can be really up to date on where we're at and what's happening in this amazing, amazing letter. Some uh, commentators, actually many commentators, uh, describe this letter from Paul to his beloved protege in the faith, Timothy, who at this point is now 36 years of age. They, they call it Paul's last will and testament. It's a very, uh, it's a very good title. Um, Paul, within three to four months, as you heard me say it last week, after Timothy receives this letter, is martyred after being in a Roman cold, dank prison for almost a year at that point. And yet he writes this beautiful, encouraging letter to Timothy, to the church, and I believe through the Holy Spirit to you and I here today. And so our our byline or uh, tagline for the series is guarding the good deposit that has been uh, given to us. And today your sermon title is three words. Be not ashamed. Let's read our text, verses 8 to 18, and uh, then I'm going to pray one more time and we will, we will dive in. Beginning in verse 8, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And now, which, pardon me, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Originally, I was going to stop there. Most times people do, but we're going to continue to the end. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. 
may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and he found me. May the Lord grant to him mercy from the Lord on that day. And you, all, and you know well all the service that he rendered in Ephesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, once again, we just thank you. Lord, as we prayed upstairs this morning, as uh, the worship team and the servant team together this morning, we were just, Lord, we were just marveling at the miracle it is, is that uh, you've called us here this morning. It's a divinely appointed uh, time together. Sometimes we may not realize that, um, but it is you, Holy Spirit, who is urging us, calling us here, and it's because you want to speak to us. You want us to know the salvation that we can have in your Son, Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you so much for that invitation. I thank you for this opportunity to look at this uh, amazing text, these wonderful words of Paul to his beloved son, Timothy. I just pray that would help me to communicate it. Help us to hear it as you would intend us to. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to suggest to you these 10 verses are pivotal. In, in all of the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, Lord willing, that we will get to later this year, this, uh, in, in the spring, it's pivotal to Paul's reason for writing this urgent letter to Timothy. And so for us to dig deep into this, to hear it deeply and hear it well, is really important this morning. As we've already noted, uh, and, and uses our tagline, Paul's exhorting Timothy, the church, and you and I here today, to guard the good deposit. And what is that? Well, we learned about that last week. A few things we'll repeat from last week. It is the words of faith, it is the gospel that he, Timothy, learned from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Faithful Jewish women who came to faith in Jesus Christ and they shared the gospel with him. Then it was also the words of wisdom, sound doctrine, that for 10 years he studied under, tutelaged under the Apostle Paul before he's left in Ephesus as a pastor. And that's the good deposit that he is to guard and us as well. It's been entrusted to. So starting in these 10 verses, and for frankly, the balance of the letter, I think what you're going to see is Paul's going to demonstrate to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus who will hear this read, to you and I here today, he's going to be telling us exactly how we are to do that. Someone asked me last week, how how do we fan into flame the gift that's in us? It's a good question, right? But it's also a good question to ask, well, how do we guard the good deposit? And that's exactly what Paul is going to show us starting today. And so it starts here with the central theme of these verses. You heard it, right? You heard it. And it starts there. The first way to guard the good deposit is be not ashamed. That's that's the first way that Paul gets to today. Do not be ashamed. And so I'm going to forewarn you this morning. Some of you are going to be going in about 35, 40 minutes. Glenn, we're still in verse 8. I have lunch plans, right? Relax. This verse is really important. We will be in it for a while this morning. It's key to the letter. So let's put it on screen. Verse 8. Therefore, Paul writing to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Note that. Paul doesn't look at the Romans that have been chained in that cold, dank prison as 
those who have him in prison? No, he's in prison as the Lord's prisoner on behalf of the Lord. And because why? Because he wants to keep speaking. Jesus, remember that song? It's remarkable to see this in these words. But listen, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So three times in these 10 verses, Paul writes about not being ashamed. Mark it down. It was easy for me to figure this out. This is the big idea. That is it. Not being ashamed is the big idea. So Paul begins by telling us uh, what not to be ashamed of. And then he's going to give us two really good examples of two men who model for us about how not to be ashamed, how they are not ashamed. And so that'll be encouraging for us, I am sure. So as we begin unpacking this verse, we, of course, must deal with that first word there, right? The word, therefore. It's, oh, oftentimes we see that in the scripture, and it's always about, okay, well, what has been said before? Paul's getting now, he's saying, okay, look, Timmy, the first seven verses, but also actually my first letter I sent to you, but really those first seven verses, they summarized that what I needed to say to you, but this gets to my point. That's why the therefore is therefore. So Paul's saying to Timothy, all of what I've just written to you, is my main, uh, now this is my main point. So again, just a small recap about a few things. You'll remember from last week, we learned that Paul is in prison. He's been in prison a few time, times in his life. He's been beaten within an inch of his life three times at least. But this is different. Last time he was in prison, it was, like, it was a home prison, right? They send very rich businessmen to those home prisons, right? That was a little easier. He could, he could have visitors. He, he could walk around his home. This is very different. Nero and Caesar, it's, it's like coming to the end, quite frankly, for the church in Asia. Christians are being uh, martyred all over the place at this point in time, and Paul's next, and he knows it. And so he writes this wonderful, encouraging, exhortational letter. I tried to type that into my pages document, and Apparently, it's not a word, but I'm using it. Uh, Exhortational letter to Timothy. He opens by reminding Timothy, listen, he opens by reminding Timothy um, that he, Paul, has been called by, look, the will of God, is what we read last week, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And, And the reason why he does that is not to puff himself up, but the reason why he does that, as he's doing throughout this letter, is to encourage Timothy, you too. You too have been called by God. This is not something that you signed up for. Who would? You've been called by God to this, and that's why he wants to encourage him. So Timothy, he wants him to remember that he too has been called to be an elder, a pastor in Ephesus. It's not going to be easy. Paul also tells Timothy that he thinks of him all the time. I love that, and we saw that last week. He thinks of him all the time, and every time that he thinks of him, he prays for him day and night. Timothy, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. My son. I love you, and that's why I pray for you. Next, Paul exhorts Timothy to remember the sincere faith of his grandmother and his mother. He reminds them of that. And why? Because, well, they, they shared it with him, and, and you know what? He received it. And he then reminds them, listen, remember your sincere faith, the, the one that I want you fan into flame, which is along with your gifts. Because you know what? Everyone in Ephesus has seen it. I've seen it. He's speaking to a young man who's discouraged. He knows it. He wants him to be encouraged because he knows it's not going to get easier for him or the church in Ephesus. And so he wants to remind him of these things. 
It appears and we understand, and it's been underscored throughout the First Timothy series that we are in, and some people kind of bristle at this, push back, but it appears from what we know from Scripture that Timothy's a little on the timid side. Timid Timothy. It's like doubting Thomas. I don't know if anyone has ever said that before, but yeah, he, he's a little uh, gun-shy. It would appear that he, you know, he was young when he was first uh, put into that role. He was around 30, 31 years of age. So now, four or five years later, he's 35, 36. So he was young. He was single. Older men in the church were kind of, hey, Tim, it's okay. Pat him on the back. You know, we could take it from here. You're, you're young. You don't know everything. But there was also false teachers, and, and there were things going on. There was brokenness in the church. There was brokenness in every church, including this one. Amen? And so he was dealing with that, and he was under pressure. And he didn't always deal with it well. And so that's one of the reasons why Paul is like, I want you to rekindle and remember you, you were, I laid hands on you. Why? To affirm the fact that you have significant spiritual gifts. Come on, young man. Be strengthened. This is important. I, I'm about to pass the baton to you, Timothy, and to Titus and a few others, as is Peter to others and John to others. We're going to be gone, man. It's in your hands, in the hands of the church, that you're leading. But now at this point, four to five years later, while Paul's in chains in prison, his concerns for Timothy have been heightened. And why is that? Well, we're going, to, we're going to see that in a minute. He knows that Timothy's constitution is not the same as his. And listen, if, if, if you've read the scriptures and you've read Paul, whose is? Right? Like Peter was, you know, like I'll deny Jesus three times, but then the power of the Holy Spirit comes on him and he's pretty strong going forward. Right? I've always, always sort of identified more with Peter, you know, frankly, than Paul because, man, he's so confident and bold and assured and to the death. So the constitution of Timothy, Paul knows, is not the same. To give you some example of that, I mean, some people may say, really, timid Timothy, is that fair? Well, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church when Timothy was on the way there. And he introduces them this way to the church. He says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 10, and 11. When Timothy comes, look at this. See that you put him at ease among you. In other words, be kind and gentle to him, okay? Make him feel welcome and comfortable, right? For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. In other words, hold him in esteem, okay? In the same way you would me. So that, look, let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So there's many other examples of that, and we don't want to belabor that. I I feel like every one of us in the church, and I I wanted to put this in my notes, and then I took it out because I didn't want to go too long, but now the Holy Spirit just reminded me, right? Is that I think sometimes we we can look at a letter like this and go, oh, Pastor Glenn, this is written for you. Right? It's for you, you guy who's preaching, or an elder, the leaders in the church. The, the, like me, the, the pleb in the seats here, right? Sorry. It, like, it's like, really? It, is, I'm a pleb, okay? Is it really for me? Of course it is. Of course it is. It's for all of us that we must hear and understand these things. So again, back to our primary verse, verse 8, as we return to it. Paul's concern is that Timothy, listen, might be coming and exhibiting Shame. And of what? Well, look again at the text. It should be on screen for you. He implores Timothy not to be ashamed. uh, And the little little Greek is actually better than the ESV that you see here. It would be this. Do not be ashamed of testifying to the Lord. 
that's first. But what does that actually mean? Well, well, we'll come to that. But I want to also say this to you. It's, it's, it's a lot different. It's different than the statement that we know, the famous statement of Paul in Romans, right? When he said, I, I can't wait to come to you. He's, he says this to Christians who are in Rome. He says, I can't wait to come to you because why? Because I want to preach the gospel to you. I remember when I first read that, I'm thinking, myself, what, Paul, why do you want to preach the gospel to Christians? They're already saved. Now, most of you, I hope, know that the gospel's for all of life, right? It's our justification, our sanctification, and eventually our glorification. We need the gospel every day. But he also says these famous words, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But here in verse 8, Paul is referring to being ashamed of, more so sharing, giving testimony, listen, in both word and deed, speaking Jesus. That's more of what he's getting at. I mean, that's Timothy's job in the church, right? That's mine right here this morning. That, that's our job. Why would I become timid? Why would Timothy become timid? Well, why would you? Think about that. And so that's the point that he's getting at here, is that word and deed, we would share Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and in addition to that, to his word. We give testimony to our faith in Christ. We speak it out. We let people know. Listen, I believe in the guy who rose from the dead. Okay, I just want to make that known. Oh, thank you, my new employer. It's nice to meet you. Ever done that? Okay. It's about that, though. It really is about that. Christ's words, I'm going to quote for you from Mark 8, 38, but it's also the same in Luke 9, are haunting to me. Read with me. Verse 38 of Mark 8. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever is ashamed of me, and look at this, my words. Not just the gospel. The gospel, yes. But my words. In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him or her, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is speaking about his second coming. We don't want Jesus to be ashamed of us, do we? Listen, if you're in Christ, let me clarify something really important here. He's not ashamed of you. He's not. But this is a warning to unbelieving. It really is. So it's possible that Timothy, through maybe, listen, all the persecution, oh, woe's me, yeah, we, we all get persecuted. We do, for the sake of Christ. The criticism, the personal attacks, and the rejection, he's become a little bit gun-shy ashamed of testifying, speaking the name of Christ. Listen, it's pretty dangerous in those days to do that. It's far worse than cancel culture. You could be literally canceled, killed. And so Paul's concerned that maybe that's happening to him. And also look at this. Be sure we see this. And of Paul. He's ashamed of Paul. And what? His sound words, his teachings... So first, how might Paul come to this conclusion is what we need to get to and see today. But secondly, what exactly was Timothy ashamed about, really? Well, as we said many times in the letters to Timothy, they're essentially letters in response to letters that Timothy has written to Paul going, help, Paul, why did you leave me here? Seriously, these people are crazy. They won't listen. 
and he's, he, he's, he's young and he needs help. And Paul's a mentor to him. He's discipling him. He is an apostle. And I've mentioned to you before, I've had those mentors in my life. I still have them, thankfully, that I can reach out to when I'm finding it difficult or I don't have an answer for something. And I hope that you would have those people too. But it's not just the letters that Paul has received from Timothy. Sometimes people come visit Paul and they give reports from Ephesus about what's going on in the church and about Timothy. Well, let's go to those last few verses that I wasn't going to put in today's message to see that as a fact, right? Verse 15 says this, Paul's saying to Timothy, you are aware, that, look at these words, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. Well, that's an amazing and rather sad statement, isn't it? It's really it's really sad, but listen, Paul's not exaggerating. He's not exaggerating. He's not just, this is not just conflated, you know, to scare Timothy. He means it. All in Asia, which is where Ephesus is, it's in northwestern modern-day Turkey. All. Paul's aware of this. He's getting reports. Paul, they're no longer listening to you. They're, they're just rejecting what you've been writing and saying. And I love this. He names two dudes. Man, there's times when I wanted to do that. But we don't. I don't think we should. But Paul does. Can I just remind you? This letter was read publicly in the church. It's being read publicly here. These guys are infamy. Now, hopefully they came, they came to their senses after Paul wrote about them. But he names them. He literally names them. And that, that I, I think, is a pretty scary thing. So they've rejected him and his teaching. And then he names them. Remember, as I said, this was read publicly. So why tell us this? Why does he tell this to Timothy, do you think? Well, he and every pastor who follows him will need to know this as well. <laughs> Sadly, people will reject you. They will reject your church. They will reject each other. Sadly, it's just the case that that happens. They need to know that. But also they need to know this. Listen, they're, they're, and my wife always says this to me, Glenn, they're not rejecting you. <laughs> and I'm going, well, you and They're not. They're re rejecting Jesus and his words and the apostles and their words. Let me repeat that. <laughs> we need to hear that, don't we? That's exactly what is happening. But also, Timothy is fully aware that many have turned away from Paul and from his teachings. Now, how would Timothy know that? Well, Four or five years ago, he read First Timothy and he started teaching all of the things that Paul said in that letter. Do you remember the first chapter? I'm not going to repeat some of the things in there, but there's at least 11 or 12 major sins that Paul says, and Timothy, you, you read that to the church, coming from me, let them know those are sins, and if they're not repented of, no eternal life for you. That went over well, Right? So Timothy's getting the rejection of that, but you know what? So is Paul as a result of that. And so this is exactly why Timothy is under pressure. He's preaching Paul's last letter, all of Paul's letter, because they're all circular. They go from church to church, the Corinthians letters, the Galatian letters, the Ephesian letters that were also written, Peter's letters. They all say the same stuff. And, they get, and so people hear this, and after a while, people are like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about this Paul guy. More on that in a minute. On a positive note, there's Anisiphorus. This is great. Verses 16 and 18 say this. Paul, 
says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and, look, was not ashamed of my chains. More on that in a second. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. And imagine, you're right in Rome, you know that Paul's in prison, and he's in prison because they think he's criminal, and, and, and yet you're going, where's Paul? I'm a friend of Paul. Well, that's pretty brave. That's pretty courageous. And that's what he's doing. And then Paul says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know, Timothy, all the service he rendered in Ephesus. All right? So here we have, I think, good evidence that Anisiphorus was likely the person who said to Paul on this visit, you know, Timothy's having a hard time. Really, quite frankly, I love him. He's a good pastor. He's a good preacher. But I think he's buckling. I think he's afraid to speak Jesus. I think he's buckling to the pressure. He's acting ashamed of both the testimony of Jesus and of you, Paul. After all, let's remember that both, listen, Jesus and Paul were, by and large in those days, considered criminals. That, that's why they were under trial. That's why they were in prison. That's why they were put to death. Listen, that wasn't, that wasn't considered like culturally like a hero. That was someone that you looked down upon. Because, well, you know, if there's smoke, there's fire, right? So if they say he's guilty of something, well, he's guilty. So why would I follow that person? Why would I? Well, in Paul's first letter, he also outlined a whole host of sins, as I've mentioned. And, and if not confessed and repented of, well, no eternal life for you. And, and, and that's exactly what Jesus did when he's preaching the kingdom and, and the gospel and stuff like that. They basically saying, look, it, here's the deal. It was, it was told to the original hearers and to us today that we're all sinners. This is the message that Jesus preached, that Paul preached. Look, you're all sinners. We're all sinners. And that the saving grace of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross in your place and for your sins, for me and for my sins, there's no hope for you. Oh, and by the way, you can't do it yourself. Hey, I'm Roman, I'm Greek. <laughs> there's not much I can't do for myself. Anybody like that today, do you think? That's the message. It didn't go over that well in that day. Shoot, it doesn't go over that well today, does it? But that's the message. You need a savior. There's no other way to save yourself or work your way up to God's approval and acceptance. There's only one way to be saved. Oh, that didn't go over well in that day. Their pantheon of gods. That's why they considered Christians actually in the day atheists, right? Because they believed in one God and this one way, who was Jesus Christ. So by way of illustration, let me say this. It was quite common in those days in the church, as we've already read, actually, for those who opposed the gospel and sound doctrine to attempt to separate the words of Paul, the Apostle Paul, from some of the other apostles, but especially from Jesus. We, we think that's a modern thing, as I'm going to show you today, but it's not. They were doing that in that day as well. Many suggested, well, listen, Come on, he's really not a possible. He wasn't one of the 12 that Jesus picked at that first time. Sure, there's a story about him on the road to Damascus. White light, Jesus speaking to him, sure. And, and, and besides that, listen, let's just remember, he's single. He's not married. He has no idea about marriage and family life. And yet he preaches on it. He writes letters on it, right? And you know what? You know, some of the things he writes about women, it's like, I don't know, it could be a little chauvinistic the criticism was happening in that day. Many suggested these things about him. 
Somehow, for whatever reason, they also felt they could hear some kind of tone in his words, like he was a little harsher than John, right? Well, actually, it's interesting. Peter, I'm going to show you. Uh, the first part won't be on screen, but in 2 Peter, Peter, the apostle, one of the 12 that we know, and he was like Peter, James, and John. He's one of the top three guys, right? And he's writing also to the churches in Asia Minor, and he wrote in 2 Peter these words, and he says, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as a look at this, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And then he says, and this will be on screen for you, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, do you think? I would actually suggest that the original language is more like hard to accept in the plain reading of Paul's letters, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do to the other, what? Letters? Words of Paul? Hold on. Scriptures. The Apostle Peter is equating Paul's letters with what? Holy Scripture. Authoritative Scripture. That's an incredibly important point. I'd put that in your booklets right now. That's an incredibly important point. So friends, it's absolutely the same today. Uh, I'm not going to get really details here, but I, I read a lot of books. I read books that people ask me to read that I don't really want to read because they're written by people who are like, whatever. But th- there's been a tendency over the last 10 to 15 years, and, and I'm not picking on the sexes here, but it's often women authors, bloggers, podcasters. And, and two in particular that I've read in the last 10 to 15 years, I won't mention names, but they've actually written, it's in print, I can show it to you where they've said, I used to hate Paul. I used to hate Paul. Well, why is that? Well, in the plain reading of the scripture, it would appear that he's not a feminist. And yet, what's interesting is they get to the point in the book, they go, but but to now, but now, thank goodness, I found some people who showed me that we were reading Paul wrong. That's called deconstructing, like I mentioned last year, last week, Scripture, rather than letting the Scripture itself deconstruct you and I. So before we leave this wonderful subject of not being ashamed this morning, I must ask you, how does that look in your life today? Now, look, I, I thought about this. Rudy and I talked about it earlier in the week. Like, there's a lot of current cultural things that I, I could start asking. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? Here's what I'm going to do. I don't want to do that this morning. I have one example for you, but I do want to suggest this. I didn't put it into the booklets as a question for study this week because I really didn't think, I didn't know the Holy Spirit was going to put this on my heart as I was writing this this week, but here's what I would suggest you do. I suggest you make notes on that this week for yourself. What are ways in which you are embarrassed, potentially into silence, or ashamed of either the testimony of Jesus Christ and or his words, or Paul's words, or the scripture as a whole. And, and then maybe share that with each other in Mission Community Group. Why? To encourage one another. <laughs> to strengthen one another. So that you can, and I can, so that we can all get to where Paul wants us to get to. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to. Bold and courageous. Speaking truth and love, yes. But bold and courageous. Speaking Jesus. Yeah, so think of it this way. 
Every one of you, every one of us has had to face certain situations where we've been ashamed for one reason or other to give testimony to our faith in Christ and trust in the word of God. And I would suggest to you the main reason in my life, the main reason probably in your life might be fear of what? Well, they call it fear of man, but fear of rejection. My, my friends won't invite me out anymore. I might get fired. I might not get the job. That's the reason, I think. So if you're like me at all, you'll remember times when you've had a clear opportunity. Oh, boy. Huh. A clear opportunity way before I got into this role in my life where you had, you had an opportunity. It was right there, right in front of you, to speak Jesus, to give a testimony. And what did I do? Well, about an hour or two later, I'm going, what is wrong with you? You had... And I went silent. We all again fear rejection, embarrassment even, putting ourselves at risk of losing our jobs, relationships, and loved ones as well. It can be really subtle too. Here's a, here's a subtle little silly example. Someone says to you, oh so, oh, so I found out you are a Christian, right? Great. So you, you take the Bible literally, don't you? This is called the setup, right? <clears throat> so you believe in Adam and Eve? Uh-huh, yeah, I do. And a talking snake? Uh, do you know how to answer that one? I'll leave it there on that point anyway. Uh, one example I do want to leave with you this morning is this. Uh, over the past uh, two to three years, maybe four, actually over the whole history of the church, but predominantly over the last two to three years, we have had situations where people have become a little bit embarrassed. Actually, the word is ashamed of the confession of faith that is on the Rock Church's website. Have you ever seen it? There's a graphic, actually, for the, the head of it, if you could put it up for me, Alec. Um, it's the statement of faith one, what we believe. There we go. So that's actually the header on our website, and below it is our statement of faith that lists all of the things that we believe as a church. Well, you know, some people have discovered over the past three, four, five, or whatever years that, oh, my goodness, <laughs> they believe that. Oh, they believe that, too. Oh, they actually state it in print. But we've actually had people who have been part of our church who are like, well, do we, do we really need to have that front and center? I mean, like, do we, like, that's kind of like telling people don't come. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's telling people who we are. It's, it's like, you know, we don't want to be doing bait and switch, right? People come and all of a sudden they start hearing me preach. They go, hold on, I didn't know that. It's our statement of faith. It's speaking Jesus and his words and the words of Paul. But it has happened where people have been embarrassed, and why? Because they're fearing cancel. So once again, verse 8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So now Paul lets, uh, what tries, pardon me, uh, tries to encourage Timothy and us today by, again, how do, we, how, do we, how do we maintain this good or guard this good deposit? Well, we've already seen, number one, it's about not being ashamed, but instead being courageous, but it's also this, and this is fun, because he says... By sharing in the suffering of the gospel. It's good news, right? Look, actually what he's saying is, is, Timothy, look, come on. You already know. We're in this together, man. Church, we're in this together. At the end of the day, it's like Paul saying, look, you're on team Jesus, man. Is Jesus king? Has he won? Has he defeated it all? Please say amen. Yes, thank you. Okay. He has. 
And so that's beautiful what he's saying here. He's like, you're on Team Jesus. So now thirdly, this is encouraging also, and this is how we're going to quickly get to our conclusion. He says this, listen, it's all by the power of God. All of it is by the power of God. Everything we need to guard the good deposit, to never be ashamed, but instead be bold and courageous, is not found in your own power and strength. Glenn, thank you, Lord. It's found in God. It's found in God. And here's the really good news. He's already demonstrated his power. Timothy, you know this, right? Christian, you know this, right? He's already demonstrated power as it is he who is, verse 9, who has saved us. He did it. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. He did it. And called us, all of us, to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is the gospel. And it's before the foundation of the world, before you were even a thought in your mother or father's mind, he planned to save you. That's what the Bible teaches. He planned it. He worked it out by his will and by his power. He's done all this. It is God who saved us, called us, Timothy, Glenn. Oh, man, it's good news, right? I don't know how many times throughout the last 14, 15 years, Janice is going, what are you worrying about? It's not up to you, Glenn. I go, I know, I know. But I fail. We all fail. So it's not by our hard work, but by his purpose and grace. And he decided to do that before you and I were even born. And it goes on. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. So by his power, he's demonstrated it. He's demonstrated it. And then he's also demonstrated his love for us by what? By sending his son in the flesh through the appearing of Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You know, physically, we're going to die, right? But spiritually, you're not going to die. You have a soul. There's only two places that your soul can reside for eternity. The Christian believes the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians where he says, Oh, grave, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Jesus has abolished eternal damnation for our sins. And God, through his power, has done that. So, Timothy, are you feeling strengthened now? Timothy, come on. I'm about to die, man. I've got to pass this baton to you and to the church. It's really going to be in your hands. And then Paul says, this is why I was appointed a preacher in verse 11 and 12a. And an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Timothy, he says, I suffer because, listen, I proudly and fearlessly speak Jesus. I just keep doing it. I keep getting flogged for it, but I'm just going to keep doing it. And quite frankly, I'm proud to do it. Testifying to his name, teach everything I know about him, is what he's revealed to me, and so must you. You've got to continue, buddy. And for Paul, this is why he's not ashamed. But it did cost him something, right? Well, it cost him his physical life. And then he says, in verse, the last part of verse 12, but not, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Christian, these are the words that you and I have to be able to say today. And if we can say them, we will be bold and courageous. We will never be ashamed. We will be strong. Why? Because I know in whom I have believed. Do you know him? Do you know him? 
See, the people in the world, that's one of the things that they could use to try to embarrass or shame us. Is, Excuse me, you know somebody you've never met? Oh, just, be, just because you've read about them here? No, 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 no. I, I, I know him. He's given me his spirit. He's revealed himself to me. He's made it clear to me. Now when I read the scripture, I see him. And I am convinced because of that. He is able. He is the one who is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Once again, it's not all up to us. These are words of encouragement to Timothy, a timid pastor, and to you and to me here today. He boldly proclaims his allegiance to Jesus. It's what cost him his life. He concludes with these great words, once again, speaking about his words. So Timothy, church, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. Follow them in the plain reading of the scripture. Follow them in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Friends, I'm so excited about next Sunday. I'm so excited about the the team of elders and their wives, as you've been getting to to see, uh, that we have at the Rock Church, about what the Lord wants to do through this church in this next year. But friends, in order for that to be the case, we need to speak Jesus. Amen? We need to boldly speak it and not be afraid. Not Cancel me all you want. I don't care. Just get up every day, read the word, be encouraged, and then go tell people about him. And then answer the questions. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you once again. Praise you. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for Paul our brother in the faith. Thank you for Timothy, our young timid brother in the faith, who clearly you emboldened Holy Spirit because he too was martyred for his faith. Uh, So Father, thank you for these men, but also all the women in those churches in that day. Uh, They too suffered and were persecuted and boldly proclaim you as the ladies in our church do. So, Lord, we thank you. I thank you for this body that's here today. Lord, would you strengthen us? Would you encourage us? Yes, would you, would you soften us as well where we need to be softened, um, especially some of us guys? Um, but, Lord, I, I, I just pray that in this year ahead that these words, this, this study that we're going through will uh, be something that we'll all look back on, not just ne- next week or next month, but in the years ahead and go, ah, that, that meant a lot to our church. It meant a lot to the church in Ephesus, but it meant a lot to the rock. So I praise you. I pray that you would use my words, the words that we have been looking at today and the words that we will look at to encourage us, to strengthen us as we go. In your worthy name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.